All right, welcome back. So let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to the book of Hebrews. And this morning we are looking in chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And as we begin this morning, I'll say a prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll read our text together first thing. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it spells out the way of salvation. Thank You that it is trustworthy as we see that it has been handed down and profitable in every generation, in every nation where it has found root. We thank You that it has produced belief and faith and those who love You and know You. And so we thank You that we are merely participating in the worldwide movement of Your Word and of the growing Kingdom of God. So we thank You for that. And we worship You, Jesus, as the head of the church, not only this church, but Your church that You purchased with Your blood and Your body. We give You great thanks for that. And we thank You that Your promise this morning is that where two or three are gathered together in Your name, that here You are in our midst. And so we speak and listen knowing that You are with us today. We praise You for that. And we also thank You for the promise that if You are lifted up, You will draw all people to Yourself. So I pray that this morning people would see You clearly and that they would exalt You and know You in the process of hearing Your Word. As we read last week, if we hear Your voice today, I pray that we would not harden our hearts, but that we would respond to You in faith and obedience that leads to life. Would You bless this time? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we saw the hardening of hearts and, and in, in the midst of a hardening heart, when we hear God's voice, when He speaks to us, uh, we stop up our ears and we either respond in disobedience or we respond in rebellion. Uh, but this morning we understand that God speaks to people and He speaks in the same way that He's been speaking for all these generations through His revealed Word of God and, and the mystery of the fact that He would use someone like me. Uh, you know, I say that with a chuckle because it's interesting that God would use a broken human, you and I, someone to declare His Word and to reveal Himself to lost people and to the world. And so we trust that that's what He does and it's a mystery to us, but it's in this process that we see that God speaks to us. When he speaks, we have a choice of what to do with what he says to you. And so all around the room, uh, in every one of your situations, though they're all different, though you come in this morning with all kinds of baggage and difficulties and struggles and anxieties or victories or uh, in, in all these ways, joys and, and uh, great ways that God might be using you or working in your life, all around the room, there is a huge variety of circumstances. Some believe in the room, some don't at all. Uh, some have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Others are relatively new to the faith. And others of you have been in rebellion maybe for a long time. And, and for you to even be here is, is really something. Uh, in all those ways, we understand that God can apply a general word that I've prayed for and prepared. And He can apply it to all your situations individually. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit that resides within us as believers. Then He can take His word and He can apply it to all these different situations. But in the process of God speaking, you have a responsibility to do something with it. Three times, twice last week and once this morning in this text, the author of Hebrews has quoted Psalm 95. And he has said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. 
And so we see that the hardening of hearts will lead to what chapter 3 describes as an evil, unbelieving heart. So it's my prayer this morning that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart, but is willing to listen if God were to speak to you today. And so let's get a running start at chapter 4 by reading verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 3 says, So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The author is talking about the Israelites who wandered in the desert during the Israelite deliverance from Egypt. They were wandering in the desert. They were going to where? To the promised land. That's right, to Canaan, where God had promised Abraham 400 years earlier that your, uh, every place where your soul treads, you shall inherit this land. And then they went into exile. And then it was 400 years before uh, any of that took place, before any of that promise was realized. And the wilderness generation did not enter into the land. They were delivered from uh, Egypt, delivered from slavery, and they did not enter into the land. And chapter 4 is going to reveal a little bit more of why that is. So follow along in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands... Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, that rest. For good news came to us, just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. Second time he uses the word rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. That's a quote from Psalm 95. It's the fifth time he uses the word rest in these four verses, five verses. Verse six, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in Psalm 95, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse eight, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and it discerns discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So we see in this text ten times the word rest is used. So what's our theme for today? What's our topic for today? It's the idea of rest. It's the idea of rest. We see in verse 1 that we're supposed to enter his rest. Verse 3, we see that those who believe enter that rest. Verse 3, he quotes uh, Psalm 95 again, and they said, they won't enter my rest. Verse 4, he quotes again from Genesis that God rested on the seventh day. Verse 5, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6, some of it enter the rest and some don't. Verse 8, Joshua led them into the promised land to give them temporary rest. 
Verse 9, there still will remain at the end a Sabbath rest. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested. Verse 11, let us also strive to enter that rest. Have you ever said a word so many times over and over again that it loses all concept in your mind? Do not count the number of times I'm going to say the R word this morning, all right? Uh, it will sound like that at all, but, but this section is about rest, and it's about rest in a couple of ways, okay? It's about, in a couple of ways, it's about eternal rest. That's the biblical theme. That's the theme that runs from beginning to end, is that there is toil and difficulty and hardship because of the struggle of the fall of man and the introduction of sin into the world. And so we will labor, we will toil. You remember the curse in Genesis 3 that, that the, we will work the earth and it's going to produce thorns and thistles and difficulty and there's going to be pain and childbirth and there's going to be all this difficulty and hardship and pain. And the promise is that one day there will be rest at the end of that. You remember the promise of Noah? This one will bring about rest and righteousness. And so there is for all of us the hope of not just temporal rest here on earth, but there is the hope for all of us that there will be eternal rest, that we will be in peace, that we won't struggle anymore. And we have a funny understanding when it comes to this idea. Sometimes when we think about um, us relaxing, uh, we think about that, those things that might renew us, which is, uh, you know, you may take a nap, you may binge a, a show, you may, you may work on social media or scroll through social media. And, and so in a lot of ways, we've, we've lost a real good doctrine of what does it mean to relax and to be renewed and to be refreshed temporarily in this world. I think we all have a good understanding of what it means for eternal rest. It's the idea of heaven. It's the idea of being with God. But So I want to talk about both. And this has been important to me. Uh, I, I've been in this church plant situation um, for six years. Ridgeline is six years old. And church planting is a unique animal in that, uh, you know, it's kind of like an entrepreneur starts a business and there's a lot of energy that's exerted up front for a sustained period of time. And there's the hope that if you sustain enough energy and, and work and enthusiasm and, and if you maintain faith and you do all these sorts of things for a long enough period of time that you, you will kind of reach inertia and get over this hump and then the church will be self-sustained. And, and so this past five years has been an enormous amount of work. And I remember just a few years ago driving to visit a pastor in Virginia and I was so exhausted. I'm not an emotional person, but, but I was just weepy. Have you ever been just weepy? Where you drive and you hear a commercial and something about the commercial touches you and you don't know why you're crying and then you kind of ugly cry. This is not a normal experience for me, but I was so tired. Not just tired where I needed to take a nap, but tired. You know what I mean by tired? Like soul tired. Like tired the way some of you look right now. I mean, some of you look exhausted. Uh, and it's not just because you didn't get enough sleep, right? You can be tired in the sense that you're, you're, just, you're just done. And you can be in despair, and you can be hopeless, and you can be faithless, and you can be weak, and you can be, uh, it can be difficult to face the next day. You can face a world of problems, still get eight hours of sleep, and wake up and not feel ready. That's the kind of deep struggle that I was feeling at that time. And so I got to a point where I hit a wall with just exhaustion. 
And I needed a vacation. And for me, I thought, I need a beach. I need my toes in the sand. I need like a, you know, I need to be somewhere where no one, I just need a rest. And, and so in the process of that church planting, maybe five years into it, a friend of mine couldn't take a trip that was already paid for to Israel. And so he said, would you like to take this free trip to Israel uh, for two weeks? And, and I said, yes. But as I looked at the itinerary, it was 12 hours a day. It was touring. It was travel. It was not at all what I had in mind as rest. But what happened when I got in that environment, when I got around a, a lot of believers, when we got into a situation where six times a day we're breaking open the word of God and we're praying and we're looking at situations. And, and I was just, have you ever been just thoroughly immersed in the word of God with the people of God in the context of prayer and in, in a different environment? Something amazing happens. If you raise your hand, if you've been on a short term mission trip. Uh, if you've been on a mission trip, raise your hand. Something amazing takes place in your life when you're immersed in the Word of God with the people of God and the mission of God. And, and it was in this process that two weeks of this activity did wonders for my soul. And I came back renewed and refreshed and revitalized. What do you do for renewal? What renews you? What recreates you? What, what refreshes you on a soul level? When you're weary, when you're tired, what is it that energizes you for what's next? You know, this is a tricky concept because you can deceive yourself and think, well, I took a nap or I got full sleep, but, but I still feel tired. You can get plenty of time away, maybe from your work or from tasks. And even in the midst of being away from things, you can still feel anxious or nervous or worried or weary feeling today do you do you ever feel like deeply exhausted and it's not a matter of sleep and it's not a matter of schedule it's just a matter of soul exhaustion and weariness and anxiety rest is a serious concept in the bible it's seen in the concept of shabbat that's the sabbath that's the seventh day of rest that god knew that in your regular rhythm you needed a period of work, six days, and you needed a period of what? Rest. Do you take days off? Moms are like, no, <laughs> never get days off. Uh, you know, I'm in this all the time. Uh, dads are like, nope, don't get much time. And I think we've lost this idea of how do we renew ourselves well that, that was part of the biblical rhythm in life. Um, here's the idea when we talk about rest. Rest is synonymous with peace. When we're talking about rest in Scripture, we're talking about a deep soul peace that has a clear conscience and that is uh, okay with their relationships in the world and they're okay with their relationship with God. And from that sense of uh, peace, from that, from that rightness with God and the rightness with the world comes this sort of inner peace that does not depend on your circumstances. It does not depend on your circumstances. A rested person is a person who is at perfect peace regardless of the circumstances. You could be going through a terrible situation in your life right now and yet still feel this deep sense of peace and rest within God. When I talk about that this morning, I'm going to talk about this sort of sense of peace with God and peace with everything around you. Even in the midst of turmoil, you inside, internally, can be at peace. And then you see the opposite when Jesus describes hell. He describes hell as a place of gnashing, 
a place of weeping, a place of anxiety, a place of torment, a place of wringing of hands. One of the saddest things for me in my ministry is to experience people who are uh, meeting with people who are experiencing a sense of anxiety or worry or stress. It's, it's one of the more difficult parts of my job is to counsel people who have this sort of hand-wringing anxiety that they're all knotted up and they can't find peace no matter where they turn, no matter what they do to find this peace I'm talking about. They just can't find it. And I feel very powerless. I feel very powerless over it. To watch a person struggle with worry and despair and anxiety and other conditions that are opposite of the peace that Jesus offers and the rest that God will bring about for eternity is is one of the more difficult things I have to deal with. So this morning I want to give you some handles on biblically how do you find this peace temporarily, regardless of your circumstances, in this lifetime, but also eternally, because that's what the author is ultimately driving at, is that heaven is described as rest. It's described as a place without um, tears, without the struggle with sin, without the struggle with your flesh, without the struggle with temptation. Um, Heaven is described as this place where God will wipe every tear from their eyes and that there will be this eternal soul rest, this eternal peace given by His, uh, His presence. And so the main idea I want to come across to you this morning, that I want to get across to you this morning, is that the perfect rest for you is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The perfect rest for you, temporally, here on earth, is found by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And the perfect peace for your soul is found eternally through the person of Jesus Christ and through no other way. Scripture, the Bible, it it demonstrates no other avenue for you to experience that which you're searching for. It just doesn't give you the alternative. Jesus said, it is only through me. And so let's find out how we do this. The first thing you do, uh, according to uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, starting back in chapter 3, but uh, in these two verses particularly... The first thing that you see is that it's by faith. It's by faith. It's not by works. It's by faith. And you see here in this passage that hearing the gospel, the good news, is not the same as believing it. There are people who hear this week in and week out. And for those of you who have heard it so many times, you start to think, well, I already know this. I already know this. I'm not experiencing peace, but I already know the answer. I already know what you're going to say. Um, I already know that hearing isn't the same as believing. But, but you see here very clearly in the Israelite generation that he's describing, they left Egypt from slavery to the promised land, so they heard the good news. We're going directly there. We're going to stop by the mountain. We're going to get the word of God. And then we're going to go straight up. Within a relatively short amount of time, they were at the, the doorstep of the, of the promised land. What did they do? They sent spies out, right? They sent spies out and 10 of them came back with what? With a bad report and they believed the bad report over the promise of God. And because they believed and faltered in disobedience, they didn't go into the land. They heard the good news. This, all this is yours and I'm going to deliver you and you're going to have this land. They listened to the 10 spies 
rather than the other two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who said it's a good land and God is giving it to us and we can enter it and we can take it because he's promised us and because his presence is with us and we're going to just, we're going to go get it because he's with us. But the entire nation said no. And so they fell in disobedience. They wandered in the desert for like another 40 years until they all died, except for those under 20. So hearing the good news is not the same as believing the good news. Believing it is faith acts upon or counts upon a promise and it operates in confidence in the one who made the promise. You hear that? Faith is acting upon or counting on a promise and operating in confidence in the one who made the promise. And you exercise faith every single day on some level. Every single day you operate you operate it with the understanding that the sun's going to rise and that, uh, you know, that your car's going to start and that you're going to go to work and that you're going to get a paycheck. And, and in every way, you have a certain set of assumptions that you operate on on a daily basis. And your faith says it will happen because it has happened and because it's promised that it will happen. And so you act on faith all the time. What you might not act on is faith in the one who makes the ultimate promises, that is Jesus Christ, that he can do a better job of, of running your life than you can. And when you submit to that and you yield to that and you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, giving him your life, he, he's able to give you instruction and direction for life. But the most popular, quote unquote, gospel in the history of the world is salvation by works. Which is completely antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single religion in the world says you do something and you get something. You live a certain way, you behave a certain way, and God has to give you something. No matter what the belief system is, it has some form of you do and you get. Christianity is the only major religion that says He does, you receive by faith, and you, you get the promises of God because of the work that He accomplished for you on the cross. Now the hard part for us is you have to see yourself as you are. As unrighteous, as a sinner, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You wouldn't believe how difficult it is for some people to acknowledge that simple fact. Even when they face the realities of the Ten Commandments, right? You think about the last five of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder, right? Probably not a lot of murderers in here, but then Jesus goes and messes that up by saying that if you ever had hatred in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. So we've all hated at some point. So we fail that. Uh, he says not to commit adultery. Uh, and so Jesus changed that and said, if you, if you have lusted for someone in your heart, you've committed adultery with them. Uh, you shall not lie. You shall not covet. Uh, you shall not uh, uh, lie, lie, murder, adultery, lie, steal. Shall take something, right? I have a M-A-S-L-C is how I remember. I forgot the S. You shall not steal, right? So if you've ever taken anything irrespective of its value, that's theft. And you've proven in your heart the truth of Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That doesn't even take into account the first four, which are deep heart idols. You shall not worship another god. You shall not fashion a god in your own mind. We, we make idols all the time. You may not go to the wood shop and carve it and set it up on your mantle and bow down to it. But the way we worship idols is we say something like, to me, God is like this. I know the Bible says he's a, a God of love and wrath. But to me, God is like this. And so we shape the God of our minds all the time. And the best way you can decide is, uh, does your God ever 
um, disagree with you? And if he doesn't, if you're always right, uh, it could be that you're worshiping the God in your own mind. And that the idol's tool is not a set of tools, but it's the words to me. To me, God is like this. To me, God just accepts everybody. And he's kind of a happy, sleepy grandpa type on a porch that just is snoozing most of the time. And everybody gets in because he's just... He's just a happy, good guy. To me, that's what God is like. You hear people say this all the time, and it just means that they've broken the second commandment, that you shall not make a false idol. People have their own notion of who God is. And the point I'm trying to make of all this is that people don't believe, because the most popular gospel in the world is, I deserve heaven. Because I'm good enough, because I'm righteous enough, because I'm not a sinner, and people will refuse to acknowledge their sin. If they do acknowledge that they're a sinner... They will refuse to receive the means by which God allows them to be saved. Because sometimes grace is overwhelming, right? Why would uh, God punish his own son in my place? And it's just too much for me to receive. Or I would rather do it another way. Or I would rather not have it. Uh, one of the difficult things about Revelation. We studied Revelation last fall in a series called How the World Will End. And it was just this roll through revelation about the end times and about the coming kingdom of God. One of the more difficult things to stomach in the book of Revelation, especially in verses 12 through 16, is the fact that God makes himself so clear to people and people still shake their fist at him and say, I refuse to believe. I refuse to repent. You read all these plagues and all these horrible torments and you see in scripture that they refuse to believe. This is why Jesus is a stumbling block. This is why the gospel is so offensive. Because it requires humility on your part to acknowledge that you're the reason Jesus had to die on the cross. That if I was the only sinner in the world and everybody else was right and I was the only one, he would still, it would still require the death of God's only son. Now the flip side of that is you're worth that to God. You're valuable. You're deeply loved. He absolutely adores you to the degree that he's willing to give everything so that you may be with him. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel. But the most popular gospel in the world says salvation by works. But you think about Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Think about Romans 4. He describes the reality of Abram believing in God in Genesis 15. And God credits it to him as righteousness. So the rest that you're seeking, bottom line, is only received through Jesus Christ by faith. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. It is only received by faith. In Galatians 2, Paul is furious with the church at Galatia because they have taken the, the gospel that Paul preached and they have gone back to a gospel of works. And so he's freaking out in, in Galatians 1. He's saying, how quickly have you abandoned the gospel to another gospel, which is really no gospel at all, a gospel of works. In Galatians 2.15, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. All right? I can't even say it any more clear, but as clear as I can make it, 
people will still walk out of the room saying, ah, just try harder. I've got to be a better, I've got to follow, I've got to be more moral. And that is not the gospel of Jesus. Faith is taking God at his word. It's acting upon or counting on a promise and operating in confidence in the one who made that promise to you. The hard reality in these middle passages is he brings up Joshua and Joshua led them into this temporal rest. He led them into the promised land after Moses died. But the reality was that some people will not enter into the eternal rest. Some will, some won't. And that's the hard thing for many people to accept the truth. that Not everybody goes to heaven. You hear that clearly? Not everybody will go. Some will resist the grace of God and the hardness of their hearts and will choose sin and disobedience over the gift that God offers. We see in this last passage, though, in verses 11 through 13, one of the more beautiful things that there is to see about this gospel that we hear. And that is that it's clearly given to us through the word of God. It is not in any way cloudy or unclear. God has provided an exact picture of what it is to be saved and how to be saved through his revealed word of God. We often hear verses, 11 through thir- or verses 12 and 13, not in the context of rest, right? You hear the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. How does that fit into this passage? Well, it's not just a nice addition about the Bible He's talking about some people will enter rest and some won't. Those who enter will enter by faith. And he's pointing to this fact that the Bible is absolutely clear about the way of salvation. It's absolutely clear. Uh, There is no salvation under any other name than the name that which God has given. And that is through Jesus Christ. You don't have to wonder if you're saved or not. You don't have to. Feel your way through it. It is as clear as it can be in the preserved word of God. First John 5, 11 through 13 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Now That's just as clear as the Bible makes it. And there's dozens of verses that are absolutely clear like that. He even then follows up in verse 13 and says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is not something that needs to be relegated to the area of hazy or fuzzy in your mind. The point is very clear and the Bible is very clear that there is a way of salvation. Here's the truth. We struggle to receive it because our hearts are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and by the fact that we're unable to confess that we're sinners in need of salvation. Well, as I close this message, we talk a lot about eternal rest, but I also want to talk about temporal rest. And for those of you who are in Christ, this might be exactly what you need to hear. For those of you who have already placed your faith in Jesus, and you need, the, you need the rest that we talked about, the peace that we're 
struggling to find so often in our world today. But to find the ultimate rest and the daily rest, we must be in the presence of Jesus. Think about Mary and Martha, a very popular passage, right, in the Gospels. Jesus and his crew are hanging out at their house. And Martha is what? She's busy. And she's busy and she's distracted. She's worried. She's upset. She's doing a lot of things to host Jesus and his disciples. And her sister Mary has the nerve to do uh, to do what? Just to hang out and listen to Jesus. She's just at his feet, watching, listening to all that Jesus is saying. And Mary uh, is finally rebuked by Martha. And Martha says, don't you care, Jesus, that my sister has left me to do all this work? Well, she just does nothing. And you would think Jesus would say, well, I can see your point. I've seen you busy. You're walking around. You're doing all these things. And you are, you know, you are being a great hostess and we, we appreciate all this. But Jesus doesn't side with Martha. What does he say? She chose what's best. She chose what's best. She had a choice. You have a choice. You can be distracted with social media and with Netflix and with binge watching a series. You can, you can be distracted with a hobby. You can be distracted with activity. You can be distracted with good things. But you have a choice. To go to the one who can give you the sole rest that you need for your day to day and for eternity. And you choose, I choose, we all choose poorly at times. Mary chose what's best and Jesus said, I'm not going to deny her that. Listen, your daily retreat into the presence of Jesus is the greatest way for you to experience refreshing and renewal and recreation and new hope. And the end of despair in many situations. Your faith in Jesus is the only way for you to experience that eternal rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, Come to me, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, Father, in light of this message, in light of your revealed word here, I can see that so many of us really struggle with how to rest well. So many of us really struggle with anxiety and frustration and stress and difficulty. Would you help us to make choices? Choices, first of all, to be in your presence, to be in your nearness, to make choices uh, to rest well in your presence. Some of that is discipline. Some of that is routine. Some of that is, is like Hebrews 3 talked about, um, the gathering of believers together. Not, not forsaking the gathering of believers is what we're going to read in Hebrews as well. Uh, but the exhortation from other believers in the context of small groups of trusted believers that we would just be in your presence. Would you help us to do that so that we can experience the deliverance from the struggles that many of us have? We pray for peace, Lord. We pray that you would draw near and that in your presence there would be perfect peace. We ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.